0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke.
1: Glory to you, Lord Christ.
0: Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself." And he said to him, "'You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live.' But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, "'Who is my neighbor?' Jesus replied, "'A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell into the hands of robbers, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Let the words of my lips and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Wow. Who is our neighbor? What does it mean to inherit eternal life? These are two of the questions that we are forced to wrestle with with a serious reading of this text. I'm not really sure they get more daunting than this. One of the unique characteristics that makes up St. Stephen's is our community is, is made up of people with diverse religious backgrounds. And for an Episcopal church I think fewer of us came from the Episcopal Church than uh, many of our sister congregations, Um, and yet, regardless, we're all here today, so forgive me for stating what may be obvious to you, Um, but as Episcopalians, we don't pick our readings. We have this cycle, and every third year, we get this reading we have today. It's called Proper 10 and I'm not gonna bore you with the lunar calendar um, and and how we have ended up. Somebody a lot smarter than me made something that works and um, mainline Protestants and Catholics all hear this reading on this day. So I don't get to choose um, what we've heard. And I say all that because I don't wanna preach on it. And if I dug into the epistle or the psalm or the Old Testament, I think you might pick up on my own, avoiding my discomfort. See, I know what our story tells us and commands us to do, but I don't know how to live it. I know what it tells us, but I don't know how to live it. And I feel that way more and more every day. See, my faith life and and the way that I have been reading scripture, my prayer life and my conscience begins to run up against my common sense and my intellect and even my understanding of citizenship. And sometimes these two are competing like my children, very playfully with a deep sense of caring for each other. Um, and but not always of common mind. Other times they seem to be waged full force in battle, like a war between two nemesis where one must die for the other to live. And so there's this great battle within my own soul, how to live faithfully as I hear scripture commanding me. And yet I've learned to live in this life and i my life has been shaped by somewhat my common sense and i found meaning and, and value and love. And so today I'm wondering what to do with that battle that's raging within me. And I find myself asking the same question as the lawyer and maybe, um, maybe even sometimes if I'm not careful, tempting Jesus in that same way. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Who is my neighbor? Yeah, you know, this story of the Good Samaritan, if I you probably have heard that language your whole life. It's so well known that many of our states have Good Samaritan laws, which means that if you try to help out somebody that's in peril, if you mess up and something horrible goes wrong, you're not, you're not going to be held liable. So we have this idea in our heads that the Good Samaritan is someone who comes to help us we have the story of of someone who's robbed and left for dead on the side of the road and a samaritan helps them and they're passed up by guess who a priest and a levite and it's a samaritan who comes to aid to help the priest and the levite walk by ouch so we begin to wonder you know who is a samaritan so i have to give you all just a little bit of a a history lesson If, if Um, in that uh, time the samaritans lived with the israelites but they lived in separate places they believed in the same god except for the samaritans believed that their god their understanding was right and the israelites was wrong and 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 you know how it is to live with people who believe that your religion is wrong it's that creates conflict and almost i mean it strikes at one of our kind of core values and if y'all um familiar with uh John's story of um, the woman at the well when he encounters the Samaritan woman says to him how is it that you a Jew ask a drink of me a woman of Samaria and then our scriptures actually put it in parentheses Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans so it's more than just a not knowing or a lack of relationship there's a hatred A complete distrust that exists between them. Uh, One of the scholars that teaches at Vanderbilt and a well-known author, Amy Jill Levine, um, refers to this story as the parable of the good enemy, an enemy. And I imagine, um, in kind of maybe in our context, or maybe a year ago, um, a radical extremist Muslim coming to the aid of a radical and extremist Christian, or vice versa. And so something about this story, this act of compassion, is our key to living a life that is eternal. It's a tough message for me to swallow, and I suspect that many of you may be kind of figure out why I'm so challenged by this scripture my common sense or intellect or understanding of citizenship can be very focused on how to protect myself and my family and the people that I love and the story of following Jesus is going beyond that and not only seeing our and I feel it threatening to me Um, it's threatening because I not only see our enemies but our other neighbors people facing hardship who end up in our care and whose situations seem so dire, and our care for them seems so poor, and the scripture unsettles me. And it's happening, our care for them, whether it's in schools or in prisons or detention centers at the border. I'm grateful for a sermon that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King gave shortly before he died, and he parsed out the Good Samaritan story, and one of the distinctions that he drew was Pointing to just how dangerous this area was where the person is walking and they're robbed, and our context sets it up They're robbed, so obviously it's a dangerous area, but the kind of geographically it was dangerous And so one of the things that King says is that when the priest and Levite come across the man in the road What he suggests is that it's more likely that the question they're asking is What will happen to me if I help this stranger? it's a pretty natural response. It's probably the response that I would have if I saw that person in need. How is helping this person going to impact me? I want to help this person. I want to. But how is it going to impact me? I mean, think about it. When we give away our money, how will this impact my own livelihood? Or when we volunteer in a ministry, will I have enough time? Or how will this impact my life? Or what will I get out of this? It's, it's just... Perfectly natural to put all of that emphasis on ourselves. It's the safe thing to do. And so the road's dangerous, and the priests and the Levite, they might have been robbed or put in danger. Imagine if they're trying to get home to their families. And so really, who can blame them? And what King suggests is that maybe the Samaritan, instead of asking what will happen to himself, he asked the question, what will happen to the man if I don't help, what will happen to him if I don't help? It's a very subtle difference, but the weight of Jesus' words rests on it. It doesn't mean that Samaritan is not worried about his own security, his health or well-being, only that his common concern for the other has been put in a list higher than the concern for himself. I'm thinking that maybe that's something about the nature or the property of God, that God is always to care for us, to love us. And so I'm wondering if it is us that we're to model that nature or love of God, that maybe just by asking a simple question within our own selves is a way to respond faithful. What will not, not what will happen to ourselves, but what will happen to those in need if we don't respond." Now I I don't want to suggest any answers to what will happen if we ask that question, but I'm curious as a faith community, as a little spiritual exercise, if we began to ask that question when we're compelled to respond. And I can't promise you that this model of living will resolve easily your own beliefs, that it won't cause your understanding of faith and citizenship to to rub up against each other and be in conflict, or even be in conflict with your common sense. And I don't know where it's gonna leave each of us. And if you find yourself in tension there, then maybe you can take solace that you're not alone. But I do wonder what happens if we begin to reframe or reorder our questions. I wonder if that will help us let go of our own security and comfort in order to extend that grace that God has offered. Because that's the way that God sees all of us. And by responding in that way, it teaches us about the love that God has for us. Maybe that gives us another view of eternal life. And that's more promising than anything that we could manifest on our own. Amen.